We've been singing about the goodness of God, hadn't we, Michelle? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's good all the time, amen? All the time, God is good. I can't believe I'm finishing Philippians today. Preach through the whole book. As of today, we're going to read the last words of the apostle to this beloved congregation in Philippi. Next week, I'm going to start a new series from the book of Matthew. We're going to talk about the instructions that Jesus gives in chapter 9, the prayer request, and chapter 10, these guides and admonitions to the disciples as they are planning to go out into the world in their preaching campaigns, healing the sick, casting out demons, and preaching the good news of the kingdom and the things that Jesus tells them as he gets them ready for their great task. So we're going to cover that in the next few uh, Sundays. I hope that you'll read through Matthew 9, Matthew 10. Get your heart ready for this. I'm going to continue writing the devotional uh, series. I'll do those in September as well. So you'll have some devotional guides continuing to come. I'm in chapter 4, verse 14. Yet it was good. It was good. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. If he'd had a cell phone, he'd have taken their picture, sent it with him. They'd all been going, hey. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It was good of you to share in my troubles. It was good. We hear that sometimes when people have sorrow. It was good of you. Good of you to come. When people say, it's good of you to come. Maybe they give you a kiss. Maybe they give you a hug. They're saying, I know it's expensive. No, it takes time. I know you spent money coming down here. But it was good of you to come. It's an acknowledgement of the gift 
that you're giving. And to say it is good, it's a moral judgment on your act of coming. Paul is saying, I've looked at this, and it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing that you've done. You've done well in sharing in my troubles. You've done well. When I saw familiar faces in Gatesville, Texas, as we had my father's funeral, I thought to myself, these folks have come all the way from New Orleans to be with me in my sorrow. And I gave them a hug and said something like, it's good of you to come. Now, he's talking about a sharing of their heart, a sharing of expense, a sharing of their love. And he is saying to them, that's a wonderful and beautiful thing you've done for me. Later on, he will say, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is a verse that we quote a lot. My God shall supply, is the old way of saying it, my God shall supply all your needs. You came to me in my need, now God is going to supply all your needs. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. You've been faithful to me, Paul is saying, and God's going to be faithful to you, whatever you need. When he was shipwrecked, Paul ended up on the island of Malta. Janet and I were there a few years ago, along with Violet Nixon and some other people. Yeah. And uh, we were having a missionary setting there. And I looked out on the, the harbor where they say that Paul was shipwrecked and imagined him coming to shore and the people meeting him there on that island. And they were a little bit afraid of him. He talked to them about who he was. He got bit by a serpent there and he shook it off into the fire. They thought he was going to die, but he didn't. Then they thought he was a god. One of the people was sick, one of the important people on the island. He went and prayed to them for that person and the person was healed. Then they brought all the sick people. The whole island. They brought all the sick people. Paul, Paul prayed for them all, and they were healed. And he got ready to go. And this is what Luke records. When we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. They'd been shipwrecked. They lost it all, basically. And when they got ready to sail, the people on Malta, this little island, this rocky island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, they supplied them with all the supplies they needed. And it's the same word that is used here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God shall supply all your needs. And the idea is to get from A to B, you need something. Sometimes you say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Well, my God supplies all your need. He gets you from A to B. I don't know how I can make it. My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Always when I talk to a group, there's somebody in the group who's hanging on by fingernails. And you think, I just don't know if I can make it through. And I want to say to you, sister, and say to you, brother, my God shall supply all your need. He knows the journey that you're on. He knows the destination. He knows what you've got to go through, and he will supply what you need. That's the whole point of this verse and of this word. God will supply your need. This church is dear to the apostle. 
They have reached out to him in his time of need. He is writing to say thank you to them. It is a precious uh, relationship that he has with them. He values them highly. And even as he ends this letter, he is challenging them to continue to share the love. Share the love. Our culture loves that little phrase, share the love. It's everywhere. If you Google share the love, you're going to get a thousand pictures and images of people all over the place saying, share the love. But really, that's what the apostle is saying here. He's saying, you have shared with me in my troubles, in my distress. You know, it's sad to be in pain. It's difficult to be suffering. It is particularly difficult when nobody knows the trouble you've seen. When you're crying in the middle of the night and nobody sees your tears, to suffer alone is even more difficult. I think Paul experienced that. I think the apostle did not like to be alone. He wanted to have people with him. And when he was alone, his thoughts grew dark. And especially when he was locked up and there were chains on his hands and his feet and he was looking at his condition and thinking about all the things he was missing and what he could be doing if he hadn't been locked up. His thoughts grew dark on him. At one point, he describes himself as depressed. God who comforts the depressed comforted me with the coming of Titus. God worked through Titus to lift me up. I needed somebody with me in my aloneness and in my suffering. And maybe that's true about you. Maybe it's true that you, when you feel alone, your thoughts get darker and life looks more grim and difficult to you. Maybe you're like the Apostle Paul. That happens to you. I've made several visits to prisons here recently, and the prisoners are so glad to see somebody. One boy at Rivard's, when, when I said uh, that we're glad to be there, he said, you know, just you being here, you taking the time to come here, that's a big thing. He's like 14 or 15 years old, and it's a big thing for us to show up in that cell block and sit down next to him. I went to another prison here recently, and I put my hand on a plastic wall that separated me from the prisoner. We were talking by telephone, and we put our hands together as I got ready to leave, and it was a communication of, I'm so glad you've come to see me. When I'm by myself, when I'm locked in this place, my thoughts get dark, and just seeing you, just having you present, man, that's important. You're going to hear in a little bit from one of our men who goes down to the Orleans Parish Prison every week, and he said in the early service that he has a ministry of presence there. He's just present with them. You don't have to be a great teacher. You don't have to be highly gifted. You don't have to be talented, but if you will be present, it brings some kind of blessing and encouragement and God's love to their lives. That's true for so many people in our world who suffer by themselves. And for you to come alongside them, that's what the apostle is talking about. You came alongside me. You shared with me. The word shared has that basic core of koinonia. It's a compound with the word koinonia in the middle. You know what koinonia is, that's fellowship. In uh, Greek, we're taught that it is a sharing together in a common possession. That's what koinonia is. And a little preposition in front of it in this instance is just coming alongside of somebody to share together. 
in what's going on in their life. I saw you in trouble, Paul, and I shared the love by coming and shouldering some of the sorrow myself. That's what Epaphroditus is doing. He stayed there in the prison. He's with the apostle Paul. He's spending days and weeks and maybe months there with the great apostle, sharing in his trouble. And trouble it was. Share the love. God has planted you in the place where you are to get the love out so that other folks can see his word, his will at work in you. God has a purpose in your sharing. He wants to use you for his glory. And it is a great blessing to share. We call our compassion ministries the care effect. You know what? The most predictable dimension of the care effect is? For sure, if you get up and you go out and you serve a meal to somebody who's hungry or you go to the prison or you teach somebody who needs to learn English or you carry some bags to a school, I'll tell you the most predictable blessing involved in that process is for you, my friend. The most predictable thing is that the one who gives is going to receive a blessing. Did you read the scientific study that they did? It's in the Wall Street Journal for this weekend. It's on the front page of one of the sections of the Wall Street Journal. Hardwired to give is the headline. Somebody hooked up somebody else to an MRI machine and they watched them as they gave them opportunities to give and they watched what parts of their brain light up. And they said, it's amazing. People like to give. It blesses them. They feel good about giving. Hey, did we already know that? We already knew that, right? We didn't know maybe some part in our brain was lighting up, but we knew that Jesus was right. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, here's another thing they found out with their scientific study, studying the brain, looking at what lights up when you do various things. The pleasure of giving is not connected to self-preservation. It's not connected to survival. Folks have been trying to understand the roots of altruism and moral behavior in the human condition for a long time, especially those who don't believe in God. We believe that there's a God who has created us in his image, and that's why there's good and there's evil, because there's a good God in the world, and he sets the rules. But some folks have been trying to figure it out scientifically. Why would anybody act out of something besides self-interest? Well, what this study discovered is that the pleasure people receive from giving is not so much connected to self-preservation or to survival as to the desire for intimate, interpersonal relationships. It's the social part of the brain that lights up when they give. In other words, it is our being made in the image of God to be in relationship that prompts the giving. It is God's nature to give, and because we are made in his image, it gives us pleasure to give as well. And so the apostle says to them, share the love, send the aid. You sent me aid more than once, when I was in need, the care packages arrived. 
Epaphroditus came. He had the money that Paul needed. Paul says, you remember those early days when no one else shared in my troubles, just you, only you. Do you remember those early days? Do they remember the early days? You mean like the days when you came and Lydia trusted Christ in the Bible study along the river? Yes, we remember that. You remember those days when everybody got in an uproar and they threw you and Silas in prison? Sure, we remember that. Do you remember at midnight when we were singing in the jail and the earthquake angel came and all the chains fell off and all the doors sprung open and everybody was free? Sure, we remember that. We remember that jailer getting saved and all his household. Those were the early days for this church. And Paul remembered those days with such fondness. After he left there, they sent money for his need. When he was in Thessalonica and elsewhere, they cared for him. And he remembered the early days. They remembered too. Do you remember the early days? Sometimes you need to remember the early days. You need to think back to what blessed your life as a young adult when you were a young parent when people were pouring their lives into yours and you were experiencing beautiful friendships and relationships that sustained you and carried you through in your, in your work environment and at school and in your family. You need to remember the early days. There's a key there. There's a secret there to your own behavior in the later days. That you not abandon the principle that you saw it work in your own life when people poured into you. And you remember how significant it is for you to pour your life into others. Paul says, share the love. Send the aid. Paul acknowledges his need here. Yes, he had needs. Hey, he learned to be content. You know, as he got older and that body got more frail, if you gave him a cup of coffee and a piece of toast, he could make it to 3 o'clock. He didn't need a lot. He'd learned to be content. What he re really needed was somebody to dialogue with and talk to. More than anything else, he just needed the companionship of Epaphroditus. That's what he really needed. But he says to them, yeah, I was in need. Can I just stop for a moment and tell you? I asked three or four of the deacons, I said, should I tell the church where we stand financially? And they said, yeah, just tell them. Tell them the need. So following the example of the Apostle Paul, I want to tell you, you can see it on, for yourself on the back of the, of the bulletin today. We're $120,000 behind in budget giving. I'm just telling you the need, all right? I'm telling you because it's important for you to know it's a real need. Our budget pays for the lights and the air conditioning and our staff keeps the ministry going. We have tremendous ministries that are funded when you give to Care Effect and the Global Impact Offering, but those things, they don't pay for the core expenses of this congregation. I'm telling you the, the need because I know that you will be blessed if you participate in meeting that need. See, Paul says that here. He says, I'm not, I'm not telling you this because I wanted to benefit. It's not 
my self-interest that I'm interested in. And you're looking at a preacher who's going to get his paycheck anyway. That's set by the personnel committee, so I don't get 10% of the take or something, you know. That's not how we do it here. I just, I get my salary, regular as rain. And sometimes I hesitate to mention it because somebody might mistake it as self-interest. I do have an interest, but it's more an interest in the gospel. It's an interest in the work we do. It's an interest in the lives that are touched as we send people forth from this place. It's an interest in the teaching ministry that goes on here and the worship of God that goes on here. That's where my interest is. And Paul says, it's not self-interest that prompts me to tell you the need. I want it credited to your account. That's what he says. And he uses an ancient accounting term there. So it can be accredited to your account when you give. Now, this is not the only time that he mentions this. But it's the truth. Do you want something credited to your account? Then give an offering of love here or elsewhere. And God credits it to your account. I don't know about bookkeeping in heaven. I don't know how God keeps the books. But I know the Apostle Paul said it'll be credited to your account. And I think the same is true as we give to our local church and the ministry that we carry forward. You know, we depend solely on the gifts of God's people. The Apostle Paul did that too. He lived day to day on the gifts of God's people. And this ministry survives day by day on the gifts of God's people. Thank you for your generosity. I read about a megachurch. Did you see this? About this megachurch, 8,000 people coming, who sent out hundreds of letters to people who never volunteered for anything and never gave anything, and they asked them not to come back. Yeah. Did you see that? It's a church in Ohio. I couldn't believe it. We have such a culture of giving and serving in this congregation, it blesses me every day. You know, this week we'll have 300 different people in this congregation giving of their time, giving of their talents, going out into this community. It's a blessing to see. Share the love. Send the aid, the apostle said. It will bless you. He says here, I have full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied by the gifts that you have sent. And then he says, they please the Lord. And that's the third thing I want to say to you, okay? They are a fragrant offering. Your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. I took my little granddaughter, Eden, to look at the baptistry this morning between services, okay? And I'll show it to you if you want to see it. I mean, I got a little key and we can go in there. She did put both her feet in the water before I could even stop her. So she came out wet-footed, all right? But, uh, but she had to see it and she wanted to see it. And it is a picture, baptism, of full surrender, of the complete giving of ourself unto God and the blessing that results as we give. Full payment, more than enough, amply supplied by your gifts, by what you sent. 
I was startled one day as a young man, pastor in a church, when a fellow in the church came and he sat across my desk and he said, I want you to make a list of everything you need. So I made a list of everything I needed. And I kind of forgot about it. A couple weeks later, truck backs up and they unload everything on the list. Wheel it in the church. God supplies all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, through the people that he's called to himself to be his own. A fragrant offering thinks, looks back to the offerings in the old covenant when they would give those offerings before the Lord. They had a table of incense in the tabernacle and they would light the candles and the incense, the fragrance would fill the holy place as they did their ministrations before the Lord in the house of the Lord. I got to thinking about a fragrant offering. You know what I thought about? My mother's homemade bread on Mondays. That's what. There wasn't anything better than bursting into the house and smelling that fresh bread. And it filled the house up. Think of the best aroma, the greatest fragrance, the thing you just love to smell. It brings back all those memories. When you read about a fragrant offering, you're talking about something that, that God is pleased with, that he loves to see and experience. He loves to see it happen in your life. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Maybe you wonder sometimes, do I give acceptably to God. Isn't it an acceptable sacrifice? We have some examples in the Bible of sacrifices that were not accepted by the Lord. In fact, the Bible starts with this story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. And Abel brings a sacrifice and God receives and accepts his sacrifice, but he does not receive or accept the sacrifice of Cain because Cain's gift is a self-righteous effort to justify himself. The work of his own hands he brings to God instead of an offering of blood. One of the prophets, Isaiah, says, what are you doing bringing these sacrifices to the Lord? They're supposed to give a lamb on the day of Passover, and they find one that's nearly dead in the flock. Maybe he broke his leg or he's blind. In fact, the prophet says, you know, you bring these animals, these sacrifices to the Lord, and they're crippled, and they're blind, and about to die. Would you give it to the governor? He says. Would you give it to the president? Why are you bringing it to God Almighty? It is possible to make a sacrifice that is not acceptable. An acceptable sacrifice is one that is given in a heart of love, like the Philippians gave unto God. And you can give an acceptable sacrifice. You pray to the Lord and say, God, what is an acceptable sacrifice for me? And the Holy Spirit will prompt your heart to know what is acceptable in God's sight as you give your offering. Pleasing to the Lord. That's how he ends up describing this gift. It pleases the Lord. Is there anything you want worse than to give God pleasure? Don't you want him to be pleased with you? Your giving is connected to the image of God in you. 
You learn it from the God who gave you life and the God who gave his son. You are following in this pattern of giving that is divine as you give of yourself unto God and to others in love. To make the gift without love is to waste it as far as it being credited to you. But to give it in love, ah, that's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Bow with me, please. The first gift that we give to God is the gift of our own hearts. Paul says in one place, I beg you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Maybe that's the first gift you need to make. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as Savior. If you would acknowledge that you are a sinner, ask for his forgiveness and open your heart to Christ, he will save you. The scripture says, as many as receive him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. Would you believe in his name? Would you receive him? Maybe you've already done that, but you've not been baptized. We're gonna baptize next week. Why not come saying, I wanna be baptized as a believer. I wanna follow the Lord in this important step. Maybe you need a church home. You need to connect to a body of believers who's seeking to share the love of God in the community. You are welcome in this family of faith. God, do your work in us, we pray. Have your way in us. Lord, we wanna give you an acceptable sacrifice a fragrant offering, one that pleases you. Help us do that even today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.